Uh, I would say give it up for Mark. Uh, you talk about a guy who uh, he's leading with, with conviction, he's leading with, with passion, but he's leading with a vision. And, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Uh, but as he said, I, I'm Mike Stair, and uh, I, I am blessed to be the lead pastor in Rochester at Rochester Assembly. Before that, uh, I was on staff for six and a half years as the executive pastor and been in uh, really in leadership, in pastoral leadership, in nonprofit leadership for, for uh, about 20, 25 years in there somewhere. And uh, this morning, I, I want to look at this context about the call to lead because right out of the gate, we're going to just, we're going to answer this. We're going to put it out there. This is not an issue of am I a leader or am I not a leader? Every single person, man or woman, every single one of us is a leader. The question isn't am I a leader? The question is what kind of leader am I? What kind of leader am I? You know, it's interesting. A lot of us want to, we want to fall back on that uh, de facto, well, I, I, I'm not a leader. It's, it, I, I'm, I'm not called to lead. I'm not equipped to lead. And I think it's so interesting. I shared this with our congregation just last week. You know, you look at John chapter 21. And, and here's Peter. After he has he uh, boasted of his love for Jesus and he said, if everybody else fails you, Lord, I'm not gonna. I'm not that guy. And we all know the story. He's the first one out, right out of the gate. I don't know this man. I don't know. You know. And then he starts cursing, and I won't do that right now for the sake of effect, but he starts calling down curses from heaven. I do not know this man. But I love the fact that John, he didn't just simply stop his gospel narrative with the crucifixion and the resurrection, he answered the question of now what? Now what? And you find Peter, this man who was called to lead, who had an incredible failure, a very public failure. If there was anybody that could say, I'm not a leader, I've proven it. It, you could say it was Peter, and yet what's fascinating when you read in John chapter 21, right out of the gate, Peter says, I'm going fishing. And seven other dudes said, well, we'll go with you. My friends, that's leadership. Whether you realize it or not, every single one of us is a leader. The question is, what kind of leader are we? Leadership really at its core is nothing more than this. It's influence. And every one of us has a source, has a sphere of influence all around us. Men, it could be your spouse. It could be your kids. It could be in your workplace. It could be your neighborhood. It's, it's your friends. We are all leaders. It's all right. Ladies are leaders too. <laughs> You've got a sphere of influence, and you can stay. I don't care. Because God's honest truth, what we're going to talk about this morning, this is not a man issue or a woman issue. This is a leadership issue. And men and women are called to lead. And I think it's fascinating that the call to lead is almost as old as creation itself. Go back all the way to Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1. 
if you have your Bibles and you want to just take a note and look at this, but in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. He, he creates all of this. He creates Adam. He creates Eve. And then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, he makes this profound statement. And he says, Now, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. He said unto Adam, have dominion. And what's interesting, when you break down that word and you look at it in Hebrew, it's the word rada, R-A-D-A, rada. And it literally means to rule, have dominion. But when you dive a little deeper, what does it mean? It means to lead with purpose and authority. To lead this creation that God had made and put within his stewardship. He said, Adam, Eve, all that I have created, all that I've made, I want you to lead it with authority. You get into the Greek, and the Greek translation of the word is kratos, and it basically means the same thing, to have dominion, power, authority, to lead with authority. And as I said, so right out of the gate from the dawn of creation in Genesis chapter 1, we see that it's not an issue of whether you're called to leadership, it's what kind of leader will you be. We are all given the same call, the same mandate. We've all been given a sphere of influence all around us. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, your family, your neighbors, your job, we all have a sphere of influence. What are we doing with that influence? And so when we look at this, as I said, in leadership, if we're going to be godly, healthy, effective Leaders, I truly believe that in Scripture we see three very simple principles that if we will apply to our influence, to our leadership, to any relational context that we have influence in, there are three simple keys that Jesus lived out, that he, he spoke, that he taught, that he emulated, that I think we have got to, as leaders, begin to understand and start functioning in. And Mark talked about his, his three E's. I, I simply call this E3 leadership. And I've been teaching this for years, E3 leadership. And it boils down to these three things, and we'll take them systematically, and we'll look at the scriptural context. And it's simply this, envision, empower, expect. If you're going to be a godly, healthy leader that leads like Jesus... No matter who you are and no matter what your sphere or context of leadership is, if you will employ envisioning, empowering, and then expectation, you'll start seeing a godly harvest, a godly outcome to your leadership. Because ultimately, at the end of our life, every single one of us will stand before our Maker and have to give an account. We have to give an account for our leadership. And he's not going to accept, well, God, I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't a leader. I wasn't called to lead. I didn't ask for this. Oh, man, that's my favorite. How many of you have ever said, I didn't ask for this? Oh, man, I've, I've pulled the Moses card more than once. God, are you kidding me? These are your people. These are your sheep, and they stink. 
and they bite. And Lord God, I didn't ask for this. These are your... It's not going to cut the mustard with God. We're all going to have to give an account. And uh, so as we look at this, we are primarily going to start in, in, in Luke chapter 9, but I want to give a little preface, a little backstory as we look at this. When it comes to the very first principle, godly, healthy leadership is a leadership that envisions towards life. Your leadership and your envisioning must always be pointing towards life. Be a life-giving leader. Anybody ever served under a leader that just was always negative? Just driving, 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 driving. You ever notice that Jesus called us to be shepherds, not cowboys? Stop and think about that. Jesus called us to be shepherds. He himself said, I'm the good shepherd, I'm not the good cowboy. Pastor Mike, what are you saying? What's the whole point? You see, shepherds lead out front. They pave the way. They're a calming effect amongst the sheep. They go before the sheep. They mingle amongst the sheep. A cowboy leads from behind. They're on the horse. They're cracking the whip. They're driving them in a certain direction always pushing, always driving the herd. Jesus never called us to be cowboys. He called us to be shepherds. Lead out front in such a way that it imparts life. The sheep want to be where the shepherd is. Cows are always running away from the cracked whip. You ever notice that? Yeah, we can drive people to an end result. But anybody ever truly admit you like being driven by your boss? Anybody like having a boss that's constantly cracking the whip over you? No. I truly believe our leadership is meant to be life-giving. And the first thing that we see here is, is actually that people perish with no vision. Think about that. Our first... The, the first E is envisioning. What is the purpose behind being an envisioning, life-giving leader? Well, the people need a vision. If you're just driving from behind all the time, they don't know where they're going. They just know out of fear they're going in a direction. And then you've got cows here, got cows there, and you're constantly, as a leader, having to herd all over the place, chasing down rogue cows. If we will lead by example as an envisioning leader out front, paving the way, showing the people where we are going, we're going to have far more fruit, far more success. I truly believe far less casualties. Because let me tell you something, as a leader, as pastors in this room, I don't know if there's anything that hurts more than when you lose or kill sheep. And I'll be honest, man, I've killed some sheep along the way. And I'm not proud of that. I learned some things the hard way in ministry. We're not called to sacrifice the sheep. We're called to, to give life. Lead in such a way and envision in such a way that you are empowered. You, you are, you're giving life unto them. Feed them life. 
by envisioning them. What does that look like? Because without a vision, people perish. But as, as I said, in Luke, Luke chapters 1 through 8 are fascinating because Jesus now comes upon the scene. And when Jesus comes upon the scene, he is, he is a rabbi, he is a teacher, but he is unlike any leader these people have seen. There's something different about him. His, his words, his teaching, they have authority. And yet, he's meek and he's gentle, he's approachable. There's something different about this guy. And as we look at this, as, as Jesus comes on the scene in those first eight chapters, he is envisioning the people. He is envisioning them. He's, he's living his life. He's speaking his words. He's doing these miracles all for a purpose. And the purpose is to envision them as to their calling, as to their purpose, as to what God created for them for. He's actually leading by example. He is envisioning through his words. And as we see in Luke 1 through 8, you're seeing his teaching. He's speaking to the crowds. He's teaching the multitudes. And they're, they're amazed by his words. You see, healthy leadership envisions the people around you to accomplish a goal through your words. Your words have power. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's why as leaders speak life. As leaders envision in an encouraging way. Anybody can, any fool with a tongue can tear down. Believe me, give me five seconds. I can rip somebody apart, tear it down. Any one of us in this room can. It takes a little more time, a little softer tongue, a few more words maybe to build up, but it's always worth it. His words had life. You see, when it comes to casting vision, when it comes to envisioning people, we've got to speak it. You've got to speak clearly the vision. You've got to speak clearly what it is that you want them to do, what the team's purpose is, what their role is. Be willing to be patient. Take the time to envision each one of your team members, of your spouse, of your kids, whatever your sphere of influence is, those people that God has entrusted you with. Take the time to envision them and build them up with your words. So speak it, explain it, and don't be afraid to discuss it. Let's be honest. As leaders, sometimes we want to just simply, this is what I said, this is where we're going, just do it. If you're wired anything like me, I, 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 hey, I told you, now let's go. You see, but a healthy, effective leader, a godly leader, isn't afraid of a discussion isn't afraid of questions. That doesn't always mean that we, we cave or that we give in or that you take every single suggestion. But no, but you got to be willing to have discussion. Lead in such a way that people know they have access to you. Build a bridge, don't burn it. And we do that when we envision them. Have that discussion. Use your words to impart life. But we see Jesus also in his season of envisioning, he did it through his deeds. The works that he did. 
the miracles that he did. How many, I love, once again, I love the Gospel of John because John highlights this so well. Jesus said, you know what? The words that I speak are not my own, they're the Father's. The deeds, the miracles that I'm doing, they're not my own. They're what I see the Father doing. You see, his words had power, but his deeds also had power because it's what he saw the Father do. Leaders, men, women, you have got to get into a relationship, into a position where you're not only calling out to God, but you are listening and you are looking to see what it is that the Father is saying to you. What are the words he's speaking to you, but also what is it that you see the Father doing? And then emulate that. Your words have power, but so do your deeds. And Jesus, for the first eight chapters of Luke, he is speaking, but he is also doing these things in front of them. And he was doing it for a purpose. Yes, it was to please his Father, but he was also doing it to set an example of what he was going to expect of his disciples, of you and I. So your words envision, your deeds envision. But we see a third thing in the first eight chapters of Luke. Jesus' very lifestyle was envisioning. He lived his life to live out the vision. And he did it for the world to see. His lifestyle was consistent with his words and his deeds. There is nothing worse than a leader that says, do as I say, not as I do. When we try to lead that way, it is hypocritical, it's inauthentic, it does the very opposite of what we are trying to do. It uninspires people. It tears down vision, it doesn't instill vision. It removes trust, it doesn't build trust. Our lifestyle has got to be a lifestyle that envisions other people. We're called to be living reflections of Jesus Christ. As he lived, we're called to live. Never forget your words, your deeds, but also your life. Your lifestyle is meant, it's a tool God has given you to envision all those around you. So the first thing that we've got to understand as leaders, if we're going to lead godly and effectively, is we have to take the time to envision. But the second thing that we see, as we now get into Luke chapter 9, he kicks it off, and it says that he calls his disciples unto him, and he gave them power. Jesus called his, his team unto him. He called those very people that he was leading unto him. And then he took of his power and he gave it unto them. He empowered them. And you know what? This, this morning what we can never forget is, man, there's not much worse in life than feeling powerless. There's almost nothing more demoralizing than feeling powerless. I was raised in, in a very abusive home. Single mom, my dad left when I was two. I have no recollection, never met the guy after two years old. My mom wound up getting remarried when I was about six to a very abusive dude. Bad situation. And when you live in a state of constant abuse, you feel powerless. 
There's nothing more terrifying, more, as I said, just fear-inducing than feeling powerless. And Jesus, when he comes upon the scene, he says, guys, you're not powerless. Think about what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but he gave you a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And when Jesus comes upon the scene, he does this in, in, in Luke 9. He calls the boys unto himself and he says, you know what? I'm taking of the power my Father has given me and I'm giving it now to you. And it says that he, he empowered them over demons and diseases. It says, he called the 12 disciples together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and diseases. And then he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Luke 10, 19. He takes it and he says it again. Behold, I give you power and authority to tread upon serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt or harm you. Jesus wasn't interested in consolidating his power and keeping it unto himself. He understood that true leadership is about empowering those around you. He envisioned them, and then he empowered them. And when he gathered them together, he had spent three and a half years up till this point living out, envisioning them through his words, his deeds, and his lifestyle. But now he gathers them together and he takes it one step further. And now he takes of his power and he empowers them. And when he empowered them, he came back and re-envisioned them. He says, now I'm giving you this power, but I want you to understand why. This is the vision. This is what I want from you. I want you to go into every city that I'm about to go into. And I want you to preach the kingdom. I want you to prepare the way. I want you to drive out the demons. I want you to heal the sick. He goes and he empowers them, but he also reiterates the vision unto them again. See, vision is never one and done. You're never one and done when it comes to envisioning. You keep doing it over and over. That's why I said lifestyle. You live it every single day. And so Jesus in Luke 9, right out of the gate, he envisioned, but now he empowers. And after he envisioned them, after he empowered them, after he gave them the directions, it says he sent them out. He sent out the 12. And then he turns around and he does it again with the 70. The exact same thing. He envisions them, and he empowers them, and he sends them out. You see, healthy leadership isn't about consolidating your power. It's about divesting it. Investing in those that God has put in your sphere of influence so that they can turn around and impact those in their sphere of influence. You see, this earth is to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I can't do that by myself. You can't do that by yourself. But when we start leading in such a way that we envision and then empower, we'll disseminate that. I'll come back to your hand in just one second as I finish this. Okay. Okay. And so then he envisions, he empowers. I'm, I'm trying to get you out of here by lunch. But the third thing that he did after he envisioned, after he empowered, 
Then he expected results. He expected something. Amen. See, we got to understand this, guys. Healthy, healthy leaders. Healthy leaders, godly leaders, will expect. But how you expect and when you expect is important. See, as we look at this, in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, it says that after he had sent them out, after he empowered them, he brought them back unto himself and said, now give me the report. Give me the report. Tell me what happened. Tell me what you did. Every single one of us, what we've got to understand, Romans 14, 12, Paul puts it like this. He says, we all shall give an account of ourselves to God. Every single one of us shall give an account of ourselves to God. Both for what we did and for what we didn't do with what he entrusted us with. God expects, as godly leaders, we have to expect also. But how do we expect and when do we expect? That's important. You see, what we often come to discover in leadership is, is this, and I'll close with this. The reason I call this E3, Envision, Empower, Expect, is each one of these is important, but the order is important. When we look at Scripture, we see an order to what Jesus did. You see, if you envision, but you fail to empower, all you will ever do is frustrate people. If you're constantly envisioning them, but never giving them the power to do what you're claiming to be envisioning them to do, they're going to constantly feel frustrated. They're going to feel helpless, powerless. And eventually what's going to happen is they get tired of feeling frustrated. They get tired of feeling powerless, and all of a sudden, they start to slip away. And then you're frustrated as a leader, wondering, what, well, where, where is everybody going? If you envision but you don't empower, all you did was create frustration. On the flip side, if you empower but you fail to envision, oh man, all you did was open up a can of chaos. It's Old Testament Israel. It's every man doing what's right in their own eyes. And now you can't figure out why you got chaos on every front when you think, well, I empowered you. To, why, why are you doing it like this? Why, why are you doing this? Well, you may have empowered them, but you didn't envision them. If you don't take the time to envision first, all you're going to do is create chaos. Jesus spent three and a half years envisioning before he ever turned around and empowered. But on the flip side of the coin, Jesus didn't spend three and a half years and then say, okay, boys, figure it out. He took the time to actually divest his authority into them. When we envision and then empower then and only then do you actually have the right to expect anything from those you're leading.
It's only then. Because if you expect without envisioning, you're just going to get chaos and then you're going to be frustrated. If you envision but don't empower, all you're going to get is their frustration. If we take the time to envision, empower, then we have the right to expect. And expectation is not a bad thing. Okay? I do believe that expectation is a part of leadership. It should be a part of the envisioning process. Guys, this is, what, this is where we're going. This is what I expect of you. And this is the power I'm going to give you to do it. And then we turn them loose. While leading ourselves the whole time with our words, our deeds, and our lifestyle. And then we bring them back and say, now let's celebrate the wins. Tell me what God did through you. What did God do? What's the fruit? And then celebrate it. Because there's encouragement in that. Build them up. Be life-giving leaders. This is our call to lead. And this is how we see Jesus lead. This is not, this is, man, this is not Pastor Mike. I didn't, I didn't think this up. This is Jesus. And that's what I love about it. Because at the end of the day, man, you can go down to Barnes & Noble. There are whole sections, thousands of books written about leadership. But you know what? Open up your Bible. There's a whole lot about leadership right there in the life of Jesus. So all that said, we got uh, just a couple minutes. Any questions before? Uh, yeah. So how, how do you empower people? Mm-hmm. Great question. Uh, it depends upon the context you know, of your leadership. So like for me, uh, in my home, okay, uh, I've got four kids. My wife and I take the time to envision this is what we expect of you. You know, we are going to, uh, we expect you to live godly lives. We're going to give you a good home. Now, I'm going to give you trust. I'm going to give you this opportunity. I'm going to give you this cell phone. I'm going to give you this car. It's my car. It's my phone. I'm going to empower it to you, though, for your use. This is what I expect you to do with it. Uh, at work, you know, at, at the church, uh, I can't do everything. I got staff members. I got staff pastors. Uh, part of empowering them is envisioning them for their role. What did I hire you for? This is the context. This is your job description, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is the vision of a church. This is where I need you to take the vision in this specific vein and apply it. And we envision them, but then, man, you are the head of this ministry department. I give you authority to do this. And it's, we, we clearly spell it out. We talk about it. We empower it. But then also, I mean, sometimes you, you do it from, uh, you do it in the, in the staff meeting. Sometimes you, you do it in the pulpit. You know, when we bring a new staff member on, we celebrate that. We introduce them to the congregation. You know, if I bring on a, uh, we just brought on a discipleship pastor who's, responsibility is going to be to oversee life groups and to work with all of our interns. Help raise them up for ministry. Well, when we hired her, I stood up on a Sunday, I introduced her and I said, congregation, this is Pastor Julie, this is her job, this is what she's going to do, this is what you're going to see her doing, and no, that comes from me. You just simply, you give those clear definitions and explanations. You didn't answer the question. 
talking to the wrong audience. How many people in here are credentialed? We don't, can't get that kind of help from the head pastor. We mm -hmm. don't have credentials. I would All they want is someone with a credential. And I would argue there with you. I don't think... In the background, mm -hmm. in many cases, yeah. have considerably more experience mm -hmm. and leadership capability than that guy you hired credentials. Sure. And you're going to put us under that guy? No, we all go wing someplace else mm -hmm. where we can help. Once again, I, I can only speak... Leaders. Sure. Your, your, your situation might be unique. It might be, you maybe have experienced some of these things. I would simply say, have a conversation. Talk to your lead pastor. You know what? Because all of our, we've got, uh, say what? You guys are doing the teaching. Get the pastor in that room like this and have them share their leadership. Oh, dude, we, Mark, I'll tell you, I have. We, we've done that. We, we have this conversation with pastors in the room. But I will say this, because I do respect what you're saying, it, and it, it can be frustrating. As a leader, I want to encourage every single one of you, recognize the potential. Every single person that God has in your sphere of influence has potential, has uh, something to bring to the table. Uh, you can ask... Uh, our church, you can ask our staff, I'm a collaborative leader. I am not a hierarchy guy. Uh, if I'm the smartest dude in the room, man, God help us all. I tell my staff that all the time. I want to know what I don't know. I ask all the time. Not just our staff. We've got a huge serve team uh, population in, in our church. A church our size, and man, I don't think of us as huge. Uh, you know, when, compared to River Valley or Emmanuel. But, but yeah, I mean, we've got over a thousand people. Uh, it requires, though, uh, one person can't do it. A pastoral staff can't do it. You have to implement serve team members. You've got to implement volunteers. You've got to implement the congregation in all of this. That's where the envisioning process comes in and the empowering process comes in. And I would say if you aren't a pastoral leader in this place, Never forget, though, you are still a leader. Have a conversation with your leaders, with your pastors. And I pray that they're humble enough to have that conversation and to listen because iron sharpens iron. There was a hand back here somewhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I just, I just felt also like I kind of had an, uh, a little answer for the gentleman. Yeah. Um, being that there is only people who are credentialed, we're all, when we serve the Lord Jesus mm -hmm. Christ, we all receive our credentials. Yeah. And so it's not a level of, mm -hmm. of receiving our credentials. This is our credential. Yeah. And this is what we live by. Mm -hmm. And so it is to our benefit to align ourselves with our shepherd mm -hmm. and to, to focus our our agendas for the purpose of the kingdom of God. Seek ye yeah. first the kingdom of God and the rest will be added unto you. Yeah. And so it's not a matter of credentials, rather mm -hmm. it is a matter of understanding the mission of the church, which is mm -hmm. the great commission, and knowing that you don't have to go to school to as a, yeah, and I appreciate that because, uh, as I said, every single one of us in this room, regardless uh, of our occupation, as I said, we're all leaders. You all have a sphere of influence. It could be in the home. It can be with your spouse. It could be with your kids. It can be with your friends. It can be in whatever state of employment you have. The principles of envision, empower, and expect, this is, this is not unique to credentialed ministry. This is 
This is spiritual leadership across the board. And so whatever context you are in, if you'll take the time to lead like Jesus, Jesus didn't have a piece of paper, folks. Let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't a credentialed minister with the Assemblies of God. Think about that. I'm saying it kind of flippantly as a joke, but it's true. It's not about a piece of paper. This is spiritual leadership principles. So whatever your context, that's the, that's the beauty of it. It isn't unique to just pastoral leadership or credential leadership or whatever. This is spirit, and therefore it will apply. It's the word of God, therefore it will apply. So uh, any last question before I turn it back to you, Mark? we got like two minutes, I think. Yeah. So being that uh, we have to, um, you know, we have the three needs, what are what some practical ways to prevent burnout? Like, what are some practical things, maybe even elementary things that we could be doing to make sure that we are seeing the vision from the Father and then working? Yeah. That? Oh, man. Once again, following Jesus' example, uh, you have to have regular systematic times of rest. I, I'll be honest, this is, one that, this is one of those bought lessons I've learned in 20-some years the hard way. I am the worst at taking my vacations. I am the worst at scheduling them. Uh, and having regular intervals of rest where you, I mean, first and foremost, every, it should go without saying, every single one of us in this room should have a daily devotional life. Okay? Daily time in the word and prayer. That goes without saying. But beyond that, I think we have to have regular intervals of just downtime where we decompress, breathe, process, go get filled up. You know, uh, Paul said in Romans 1.15, we all know verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation. But if you go one verse earlier, Anybody know what verse 15 says? He says unto the Romans, Now as much as is in me, I'm ready to give to you. You can't give what you don't have. And if you're constantly pouring out, you know, you're going to be running on an empty tank. So you have to have regular seasons of just, obviously, daily devotion, but then regular seasons of decompressing and just getting filled up getting back into the present, getting re-envisioned. Go to another church. You know, on, uh, Some people say when you take a vacation, don't go to church. I encourage, man, go see what somewhere else is. Get, hear another voice. Get another, you know, whatever it is. Get filled up, though, is what I'm saying. You know, and schedule it. Now, God's honest truth. Uh, our financial administrator at, at Rochester Assembly uh, is, is also like my admin, and uh, she, she and my wife are like best friends. And I have had a long history of a bad habit of not taking my vacation and then getting to the end of October, mid-November, do you realize you've got this many days of unused vacation and you've got now fewer, fewer days in the calendar than you have vacation days left? And, um, and so last year, I went to my wife and I went to uh, my admin and I gave my admin permission. You worked it with me daily. You can tell when, when I'm, I'm starting to run dry or burn out or whatever it is. You have every right 
One, to say it to my face, and two, to go to my wife and make sure to get vacations on my calendar. And my wife was there, so it was a conversation between the three of us, and I told my wife, Heidi, I said, please coordinate this, because if you leave it to me, I won't do it. I just, I don't think in those terms. So safeguard yourself. If you're wired anything like me, safeguard yourself. Put something in place where somebody else can hold you accountable to make sure that you're getting downtime, refilled up, and not just burning out. So, Mark, I'll...